Use code JACK250 to get $250 off to the BlockWorks Digital Asset Summit. It's in New York in September, and ticket prices are only going up. Link is in the description. So the bond market is saying it's a policy error. Um, you're bringing on a recession. Asset prices are going to fall to a level where you capitulate and you do what you always do. The big thing about here and now is uh, hedge fund managers are no longer pirates. They're no longer wealth preservers. Um, they're kind of in it for themselves. It's heads I win, tails I win, you. Remind me who you are again. And so these characters find themselves, a lot of them find themselves in the shark tank. They're down 30%, okay? And they are hoping that the Federal Reserve uh, reverts to norm and bails them out. So if you're down 30, the only road to redemption is to be very, very long. Um, I think that could turn out to be a profound misstep because I don't trust this Federal Reserve. So you think the Fed should pivot, but that they won't pivot? Um, I think... Um, I think they're clueless. I think that uh, non-discretionary price items, i.e. commodities, will remain elevated. I think that will find, therefore, I think they will feel encouraged by, certainly by the politics. And again, like by covering their asses uh, to, to keep on the offensive. I don't think the Federal Reserve, uh, the Federal Reserve has got no incentive um, to, to cut or walk away from its present rhetoric unless prices fall 25% from here. Um, you know, that's when they get yeah. called out. If the market takes, if we, if we, like, if we have a bear market and you're down like 45, 50%, it's all on the Fed. And, and do they crumble at that point? But where we are, they, you know, we're either side of a 20% correction, that's nothing. Um, and, and that will not change the course of the Federal Reserve's uh, desired direction. And I worry that they're just, I, I just worry that they're not they're not as smart as the thousands of individual people that make up uh, credit markets and treasury markets and who seem to be voting with their reputations to say um, these steps um, seem to be um, seem to be the wrong steps. If you're if you're thirty percent down in the tank, okay, um, what do you do? You you buy everything and and you bet that it's the same old Fed and they'll. Uh, recant um, and we'll go, we're going back to the moon I'm not quite sure it's that easy I'm not quite sure that the elevation in commodity prices um, will prove temporary um, and so they've got to if you will treasuries have grown up problems they may be a comfort blanket but they've got grown up problems with the mortgage with relationships Basically, they've got grown-up problems with a Fed that increasingly people just don't trust. So you said that the Treasury market is a comfort blanket for equities. Are you referring to the fact that you know the thirty-year, the ten-year sells off goes from one percent to two percent suddenly? The assets that we all know and love—Apple, Netflix, Facebook—they they crash. Why is that the case? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, Ever since the great financial crisis, uh, uh, 2008, we've been operating in a, in a depression, a mild depression, but a depression all the same. What is a depression? A depression is that despite the fact that nominal and real GDP are now above their pre-2007 levels, that 
the growth has been uh, stuttering and 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 as such we have never regained the 30-year trend in income and wealth that we were producing prior to the great financial crisis so any rational person and trying to anticipate where global or u.s gdp would be in the year 2025 would be massively above where we're likely to end up yeah that we have um, we have not regained the economic potential of our model of our system that is a depression and as i go in and i define depression to the minute degree i forget the question because i'm retired and like i can't even remember my name so i can't even remember the question <laughs> uh, what was it again tell me Jack. Hugh, I, I was asking how come it's the case that if the 10 year sells off so the price goes down the yield goes up why is it that the equity prices crash because i get the theory all right i i kind of I, I know the answer to the question I'm asking, but I'm asking for a much deeper answer than the answer that I know. So the answer is, oh, it's the discount rate, blah, 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 blah. But if you think that you know, money goes into asset A, you think it should come from asset B. So you think that uh, they, they would sell off. You know, Money goes out of bonds into stocks, out of stocks into bonds. But they've been selling off together. Why, why is that happening? This time last year, asset values were seven times GDP and that's, that's a, we've never seen that level. Um, and the reason why is related to this question and the reason why is related to the, the mild depression. Um, we went into this environment with banks and the euro dollar, this invisible system, which is becoming more and more relevant or more and more understood, um, having made a profound, uh, credit misallocation, which resulted in um, the near death of the US and indeed the global banking sector. In March of 2009, Citigroup traded at nine bucks. That was the same as it prevailed in the 1970s. And even nine was overstated because Citigroup was bust. Okay. Um, so the ensuing 15 years, banks are um, rueful of their policy errors. And they, they, they don't see opportunities. They see potential threats and further opportunities to mess up, if you will. And so the provision of credit has not been wonderful. If you are Johnson & Johnson, if you are Apple, if you're deemed to be a risk-free entity, they throw money at you. If you are a mom-and-pop enterprise in a, in a cyclical commercial activity, yeah, not so interested. Even today... If you look at credit card uh, balances, spending, credit card balances today are 9% where they were in 2019. Yes, we had COVID, but it, you know, if you were to read the press, you would think you know, this V-shaped recovery, we've taken out everything else, but you know, money is um, reluctant to, to be expanded by the private sector. So, and what do they favor? They favor, they favor the least risky assets because they don't want to go bankrupt again um, and so the least when you reset interest rates to such very low levels so again march to, to 2020 as everyone knows the 10-year 
uh, bond yield was 47 basis points. And at 47 basis points, the the value of, a, of what's deemed to be a commercially risk-free entity, uh, what is a commercially risk-free entity? They don't exist, but the, the closest we get would be an Apple, let's say. Uh, why do we say that? Because we, we brought this body snatching invasion from God knows where called COVID and their profits were fine. They were untouched. There were other businesses. Netflix seemed to be the same, except, well, we know what happened there. Uh, it was, you know, um, it was a function of people staying home. Apple wasn't. So Apple is the real deal. Right. The closest we get to commercially low risk. So what happens next? It's unbounded. Literally, when when rates are zero, the risk-free enterprise can trade at infinity. And infinity in our vernacular was Apple trading at three, 3.5 trillion US dollars. Um, that narrative has slightly changed. We've repriced um, equities. So we do come back into your MPV thing. Despite that re- repricing, the banks are still very reluctant to change their asset policy. Uh, so an asset, uh, forgive me, a bank should be thought of as a, as a rudimentary hedge fund. It can do two things. It can invest in real assets, i.e. To, to lending to the real community, you know, the private sector community, or it can lend to the government just by treasuries. Since for the last 15 years, at the margin, it's favored more and more and more treasuries. Even despite this backup in rates from 50 basis points, and I think we went about three 325 basis points. I think today, where where are we today? Like 260 or something. Uh, banks are still favoring treasuries or treasury bills. They, they do not want price risk. And until we change that environment, I don't think actually, if we go on to that, I don't think we will see inflation. Inflation is a monetary phenomenon. So how would you, would you say that the consumer price increases we've seen over the past year are not inflation? Um, yeah, inflation is a monetary phenomenon. So um, we have seen the re- we had the equivalent of a world war. You know, in in the Second World War, we had to reconfigure and redirect industrial output to 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 create weapons. Uh, this time around, we had to reconfigure uh, global industrial capacity to, uh, to do nothing. We sent people home. We we shut it. We closed it. Um, and then the U.S., perhaps lacking some wisdom, sent a check to everyone and said, hey, spend, but sent a check at the point where still you couldn't go to a restaurant, still you couldn't go to a cinema. And so you went on Amazon, you went, hey, send me some piece of rubbish from the factory. But the factory's just it's been, been idle for 18 months. They're just opening it up. There's cobwebs and they're like, oh, really? And like, that's, that's a problem. Like, I've, 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 got, I've got issues. So price has to respond. Um, price has to be higher to create the incentive for the entrepreneurs to do that, to come back on stream. Um, at the same time, you've had this profound social tragedy of the environmental social governance that the many have been convinced that the, 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 the climate has to be resolved, the, the, the global warming has to be resolved. But unfortunately, over the last 20, 25 years, we've taken the economics of the media have changed um, media assets are less valuable. If you're a journalist, you will um, you will have a podcast. You will be on a platform. God forbid you actually write for a newspaper, right? Because you get paid nothing. 
right? No foreign travel, nothing, right? Um, so at the margin, the people who are writing are noble and wonderful spirits, but we're not seeing um, proper debate. And, and just like stock markets where we go bullish, bearish, investing is way more complex. The climate is way more com complex. But unfortunately, we went to an environment where we went zero tolerance. We're not doing any more exploration. We're out of here. We're stopping the rot today. Okay. We're, we're like Anne Rand and Atlas Shrugged. We're going to put outside external and uh, directors and, you know, you know, Wesley Mooch types, and they're going to tell you, no, you, you, you can't invest. No, no, no. We've got a Federal Reserve, which every three or four years periodically is going to panic and raise interest rates and kill your credit rating just when they told you you should be investing. So those two things combined mean that for the average consumer, your spending is largely split into two camps. One, you've got no choice, right? One is filling the car up to go to go to the office. One is, you know, the, the energy for heating the house in the winter or cooling it in the summer. And one is food for the family, right? Um, Non-discretionary. Well, that's all the commodity complex. Um, and those prices are elevated and those prices are remaining elevated. In Europe, given that Europe was at the forefront, forefront of the stupidity of that, that policy. And, and indeed, Europe lost its sovereignty. Europe as we're discovering, has no secure, permanent, low-cost resource base. Yeah. How does that manifest itself today? Uh, we don't really use barrels of oil to heat houses in the modern economy. 90% um, of the feedstock is natural gas. If you were to put German household, German household gas bills and you were to denominated in barrels per oil, they're paying 600 bucks per barrel of oil. You know, I think the euro in that environment is going to trade at 80. They've lost sovereignty. It's not, an, it's not a nation state when you don't have that security. So, um, so the prices are presently elevated. Price increases and that yes. rate of growth are running at 9, 10%. Okay. My yes. point to you is, however, if the elasticity of the money in circulating the economy. So I don't want to go back to the 1970s M2 plus CDs, like trying to actually count every dollar doesn't work. Why does it not work? Because actually the Euro dollar system does it offshore and it does it in an invisible manner that you will never see. Okay. But right. again, I know- And it doesn't include treasuries, right? So, so it's like M2, I don't know, does M2 include credit? Is, is anytime there's QE, M2 spikes and anytime there's QT, uh, M M2 crashes. But that doesn't mean it's not. Yeah. History reveals that um, you should never, you know, you are, if you find yourself talking about M2 plus CDs, like, like switch the channel, switch the channel. Okay. <laughs> um, but what I was saying to you is banks are profoundly conservative. Bank, banks would rather lend to the US government in the very, very short duration that we call bills. Uh, they don't want risk. Yes. They certainly don't want risk in extending loans. And only when they extend loans do they provide the monetary mechanism to support higher prices. If you do not have credit growth running at at least the same rate as price hikes, then consumers are forced with a choice. to They have to retrench. Not all of them, okay? You know, the media this week has been a joke, Um we had 
Walmart report its second consecutive quarterly loss. There, quarterly profit warning. What Walmart is showing is, is actually at the margin. Uh, investors, not investors, consumers have no choice but to retrench from discretionary spending because they need to fill their gas, their, their tank up with gas and heat their homes for the winter. Uh, that is the process, that is the evolution which prevents these high price increases in the basket of goods and services. It stops that becoming permanent because there's no risk appetite from the banking sector to provide the elasticity of money that would make it permanent. Interesting. Hugh, what about the su- supply chain issues that you said? The cobwebs are still in the factory. Uh, there's no natural gas because you know 75% of uh, Germany's imports came from Russia. And there's this huge energy crisis. Is the fact that people... You know, are, they're not buying an, a necklace for their dearest. Is that slowdown in the economy, a soft recession, uh, perhaps a deep recession? Will that be sufficient to slow inflation? Because the secular changes that you're talking about, whether it's reshoring, whether it's a war, whether it's energy under, underinvestment, are those things that really uh, can be moderated in terms of consumer price declines by a slowdown in the economy? I mean, first and foremost, I, I just have not known an inflationary period that existed with a conservative, risk-shy banking system. Because unlike the Fed, the private banking system creates money. And it just it's lost its mojo. And that's a constraint for generating inflation or sustaining these high elevated price increases. Secondly, uh, the benchmark was already set very high. The inflation that that is infamous from history, from Germany, Weimar, uh, to the republics in in South America. They share a distinction, which is that the public credit markets were quite modest, whereas we live in a world where the bond market is, is enormous. And when you reprice it, when the private sector reprices yields higher, it has an immediate slowdown impact. So the Famously or otherwise, the taper tantrum of Bernanke and I want to say 2013, uh, we, that pushed rates, rates, 10-year rates almost doubled to about just over 3% when adult unemployment was 7.8. That was a tightening which was unwelcome and which immediately slowed uh, the economy. And so the Fed never even got the opportunity to raise rates that it was flagging. So tail wags dog. Uh, there are, if you will, institutional fire breaks, which make it profoundly difficult for agents of the government to create inflation. I mean, I would remind you that banks, public servants have been publicly pledging to create inflation for over two decades now, and they have consistently failed owing to the Central those. banks. Central banks, yeah. You know, 2%, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2%. I mean, the Bank of Japan even had to lower its target to 1%, you know, because of consistent failure. And then finally, there is a concern that the Fed has gone rogue. Uh, they keep talking about Paul Volcker. And that's that's a catastrophically suicidal uh, 
reference point. Paul Volcker raised interest rates in the deepest post-war economic recession, barring 2008. Um, but he could do so because the 1970s represent many things. For me, they represent the turning point, a turning point from the 1930s. So as you know, the US banking system went bankrupt. Prices were reset to zero in the early 1930s. And you know that debt to GDP back then was th over three times GDP, three, three X. And, and what it unleashed by a, an angry society was we were to split banks. The banks were no longer to, to be superheroes. The banks were no longer to be remunerated with these exorbitant privileges. The banks were to become civil servant utilities. And over the ensuing decades, that's what happened. Banks became dull uh, reservoirs of deposits. And into the 1970s, debt to GDP, to GDP fell from 3x to 1x. At 1x, you can raise interest rates. Sure, be, be, a, be a Texan and have swagger and kind of go, you know, there's a new sheriff in town, I'm going to shake it up. But please do not try that at the end of a super cycle where debt is approaching five times GDP. You know, that will create, uh, we're in a mild depression and you, and you risk sending us over the edge into the abyss. And debt to GDP is rising everywhere because we've created fictional wealth. And fictional wealth is, I want to say, it is distinct from the wealth which is a function of raising consumption in the future. The wealth that's coming, the, the wealth that has been responsible for multiple expansions and asset prices being seven times GDP is one of a reset in the price of money. You said that there's been a lot of fictitious wealth created. Are you referring to sort of the speculative, no profit, no revenue, uh, companies that have gone public, you know, like a oat milk company that gone public, fifteen billion dollars, or or is it the sort of lending for un unproductive assets? And then also, when you say that it it it's been the price of money, is that sort of the the cash flows have not grown? It's just that they've the discount rate has shrunk. Mostly, it's the latter. You know, it, it's Apple trading at three trillion dollars. Yeah, it's not trading at three trillion dollars because there's been a permanent shift, elevation in demand for iPhones and, and, and their services from the app platform. It's trading at $3 trillion owing to liquidity preferences from terrified uh, banks and other in institutions that would rather accept zero or even negative, the, the certainty of zero or negative returns to the variability of positive or negative returns. And behind the surface, um, you know, you, Bernanke back in his pomp and his glory went off on this story about uh, a glut of savings. And this glut of savings is far more relevant than the Federal Reserve's quantitative easing. And it's almost of the same magnitude. The mercantilist nations, principally China, but, you know, there are 
obviously others from the, the other Southeast Asian uh, countries as well as Germany, Germany at the core of Europe. Um, they are very circumspect in terms of promoting domestic economic growth from their household consumer sector. And notoriously, consumption is only 40% of GDP in China versus the best part of 70% in our world. And please don't dare attribute that to some cultural quirk. The Chinese just save more. It is a function of uh, explicit measures taken by the Chinese authorities to disincentivize people from consumption. They're terrified of it. They're terrified of oh, it. So what, what are those measures, Hugh? What, what, are the, what are you talking about? Well, I mean, you have a, a huge percentage of the population which are, which are not given uh, internal passports, which then just become this, you know, migrant workflow. They, they're not, they don't have access to uh, healthcare provision and the like, okay? So whatever they earn, they have to save a great deal because there's no state backing. Um, the, these powerful... Um, regional governments, their tax levy on people is high. And so whatever you earn, obviously your take home from it is less. And then finally and crucially, the PBOC um, undertake a dirty peg vis-a-vis -vis the US dollar. And the world that I grew up respecting, the world of market prices, the market prices would have pushed dollar remimbi. Today it's six seventy-five. It would have pushed them below five to four four point five, whatever, which is to say a stronger remimbi. Now, if that prevailed, and I'm being paid in remimbi, you've just made me richer. You've made everything in the rest of the world cheaper, and I might want to buy it. And that's right. what the, the Chinese don't trust the decisions of individuals. Heck, they don't allow you to vote, okay? So they're certainly not going to allow you to create a boom and a bust and, and entertain the notion of the disaster that we saw in Thailand et al. with the Asian tiger crisis at the end of the 90s. So owing to that, they buy U.S. Treasury government bonds. That's why they buy And Hugh, is that, the, is that the mechanism by which they sterilize the currency? So... They have way more dollars because they have a huge trade surplus with the U.S. and the rest of the world. So they have tons of they have tons of dollars, and instead of uh, the, the in, in order so that the currency doesn't appreciate, they buy treasuries, and that's how that happens. Absolutely. I mean, they they, they could buy um, German bonds, but the Germans don't produce many. You know, they could buy yeah. uh, Russian bonds, but actually they don't have. Um, they don't have a proper contract law and they're subject to kind of invading. Well, I know you could say the U.S. is subject to invading countries, but like the, the Russians really kind of do it to a, you know, a kind of dad, dadaist kind of level of absurdity. Uh, the, they could do it elsewhere, but the U.S. Treasury market is uh, the most liquid because when they do it, two things, like you say, they are suppressing the market's desire to push the currency higher. And secondly, they're creating a, a rainy day fund for when the local banking system, the Chinese state does not control uh, the banking system. I mean, it, it does and it doesn't. You know, the Chinese banking system 
is controlled by the euro dollar system. You, you need dollars, you need dollar collateral. You, you go on the, the metrics and, and you, you tap into that external world. It might be a bank in Bermuda, it might be a bank in Singapore, it might be a bank in Brussels. Um, most unlikely is it a bank in Beijing, you know? And there are periods. Uh, China's been, been on the turn for 10 years and the holdings of its treasuries have been going down because it's had to sell treasuries to put collateral, good collateral, banking back into its banking system so that they can keep extending some notion of credit and therefore progression in, in Chinese GDP. Hugh, in the euro dollar system, what are the various loans that are being created? Is it is it purely financial where it's oh, I'm doing a repro transaction and I'm pledging some collateral and I'm then buying it back the next day? Or is it uh, commodity loans? Is it real estate loans? Because you know, I hear I hear the word euro dollar system a lot, but you know, you you're an expert in this. You actually you know one of the few people who actually like knows the constituents. What what sort of loans are we talking about? Like, is it? It's all loans, Jack. It's it. Um, the, the, you know, the, it's a fully functioning uh, banking system. You know, you are in Singapore and you've got a, you know, a, a, a trading company, and it 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 needs to borrow dollars for whatever reason. Um, you've got Singapore dollars, so you 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 go into the matrix again, and you will do a a, a collateral swap. Um, and a whole chain will will unleash itself. Um, the 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 system of taking deposits off people, and then ha- and 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 being regulated by the Federal Reserve to how much you can do, etc. That's long gone. You know, it was long gone in the the nineteen twenties. Saw the advent of checking accounts. You know, and ch- and checking accounts. You know pieces of paper you know like, hey we, we, we've got mrs smith she's in cincinnati i understand she's from the the you know the the san francisco branch she, she wants to to buy a hundred dollar pair of shoes is that okay with you and in fact i don't know why i'm using my fingers to pretend i'm on a telephone because this conversation would have been done by um a, by the telegraph did you did you did you it'd be an sos uh, no yeah. it'd be morse code you know uh revolutions in uh, the facilitation of credit and moving increasingly away from government oversight uh, to private sector decisions. Now, the, the problem with the, uh, again, I would associate the, the, the euro dollar system leaves its imprint, is invisible, but when it touches earth and when it touches our system, it leaves an indelible mark. What, what, is, what are the indelible marks of the last five decades? Uh, the inflation of the 1970s. Um, how how so? Uh, how how is that related to the euro dollar system? Because um, it furnishes dollar deposits outside the U uh, the U.S. banking system. You know uh, the explosion in oil prices from three to ten bucks in the early nineteen seventies yeah, was partly a, an aggressive. Uh, what was entirely an aggressive uh, policy by you know by Arab nations and and a, and a, and yeah. a reluctance to sell, right? and so they didn't want to put their dollars onshore. They wanted their dollars offshore with banks in the rest of the world. Now, dollar deposits are dollar liabilities to a bank, okay, and so you are incentivized to find dollar assets. What are assets? Lending, 
And so you have this mania, like, Jesus, like, oh, we've got all these dollar liabilities. Lend the money out, like, balance the book. Um, Brazil, sovereign government, water borrow money. Fantastic. Governments never default, really. They never default till they default, you know. Um, so, and also you had the, the euro dollar system was, there were no quantitative restrictions on the leverage that you could apply. So the previous model outside euro dollar was leverage limits. Um, that was replaced by as long as you have banking counterparties that are willing to respect and, and, and be the other side, have a party, like go crazy, okay? Uh, but you're subject to the scrutiny of, of your peer group. So they went crazy and inflation, crazy meant they created a, a, a profound growth in dollar assets, i.e. they lent dollar money and that furnished the inflation of the 1970s. Inflation is a monetary phenomenon. Uh, and then when all of those debt, all of those assets turned bad, principally loans to the, uh, the South American economies. And again, because the Texan went, cha-ching, cha-ching, I'm raising interest rates. Like, oh, what, what? You know, boom. Uh, the inflation of the 70s and then the disinflation that then gets uh, accorded to the central banks. Um, and, and the uh, profound silliness of the you know ninja loans in the in the early two thousands, no income, no. job, you know, nothing. Hey, damn, take the take take the money, take the money, you know, please take the money. Because of that profound silliness, because they had this near death experience. Um, yes, the euro dollar system is functioning. Yes, it's making loans across the entire universe of credit, but it's doing so without that unbridled enthusiasm. And counterparties are constantly going, mm, I'm not so sure about you, um, and, and changing terms. So while we're, once it was unbridled optimism, and today it's kind of fear and recrimination, and that is like a break, which again undermines, underpins my belief that these higher price increases will not become permanent price increases. Given that view, Hugh, what do you make of the Federal Reserve's attempts to curb consumer price increases, both by doing quantitative tightening, reducing their balance sheet, as well as raising rates? Are any any one of those things necessary, you think? Um, Federal Reserve is an irrelevance when it is relevant, is, is only is doing self-harm. Um, the greatest crimes of the Federal Reserve in the last decade have been these periodic moments of, of attempting to raise interest rates in a depression. Uh, where are those periods? Uh, 2013. 2013 is like, what, um, five years after the peak. Um, the economy is like nominally 9% um, higher than it was over five years. Unemployment is high, like almost 8%. And they come out and they're like, whoa, we're thinking about quantitative tightening and ultimately the economy looks strong. We're just telling you, honest folk, where we might be raising rates. Okay, that was wrong. Um, 2015 or thereabouts, Janet Yellen, you know, kind of had a good sense of things, was cautious, 
but you know, I feel like um, I've got to start the process of, of raising rates. Why? Tell me why. You know. And then Jay, Jay came in and accentuated what Janet was doing, kind of like uh, softly. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm Paul Volcker, right?" And we get a like we get a market meltdown. We've got Southeast Asia having a big problem, coughing up issues right. and what is the, and the fed has to back away from it again and then you know what they did with covid um fine the numbers we associate with uh, quantitative easing um i think it's just token money um for sure they've spread the igloos of the economy with like a a, a very flammable liquid these tokens are flammable i mean you are giving the bank the private banking sector you're saying I'm kind of I'm looking over there. If you want to take all this money and create and, and create loans, I'm okay with that, you know. But the banking side is like, no, not interested. Um, and and then the perhaps the greatest sin is you know Jay Power was on daytime television in 2020 saying to people, "We are printing money," and he was emphatically lying, and he knows that. And and so the 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 irony is now the. The higher prices, which I think are, can be explained elsewhere, as I've attempted to do earlier, Jay owes it. He owns it. He's the guy who's on TV saying, yeah. I mean, the Federal Reserve Act of the 1930s explicitly makes that illegal. A fine detail. I'm on daytime TV. We're printing money. Okay, well, you printed money, and now prices are, are, are rising unchecked. What are you going to do about it? And, and the, the president is saying, Gee, what the heck are you going to do, people? I'm unpopular because of you, right? And so, you know, he's like, well, we'll raise rates. We'll, we'll keep raising rates. Yeah. He's trying to save his ass when he just, I, I'd just rather he wasn't in the building. I'd just rather they, they disbanded the Federal Reserve. They, they, they are the regulator of the domestic U.S. banking system. Like, the world has moved on. I, what do you mean the world has moved on? flows of money are global um and um it is not current it's not current it's not savings accounts which are liabilities for banks which determine uh, the propensity to make loans and effort to create money you know it is this whole system of um, a kind of dollar treasury collateral system uh, which allows you to kind of have unfettered uh, credit growth if you choose but only if you choose so and again, in terms of doing doing harm, that Jay Powell cycle of rate hikes in 2018, we need energy. Like Europe is exposing that. Remember, we're paying $600 per barrel of oil to heat homes in Europe. The US has plentiful source, plentiful sources of energy. Uh, energy extraction is a wild crazy business it's complicated it's, it's expensive uh, it's typically financed with a high yield credit which trades the secondary market and jay's rate hikes of 2018 did more to discourage investing in energy than perhaps on a par with the the psychopathic uh, environmental social governance uh, policies of, of of the greens um, he took credit uh, he took secondary credit bonds from 97 on the dollar to like 27 to 17 on the dollar. He bankrupted the explorers. Um, and we don't have credit people lining up to say, hey, find us oil. We're, we're struggling. Like US should be pumping 
oil just now. We're not because they've all been told, again, this is Anne Rand. They've been saying, no, 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 no. Wesley Mouch, you know, we have regulations. We, we, we want you to deleverage. No, society wants you to damn find energy and get these prices sorted out. So I can't think of a time when the Fed did good. What about 2020? What about it? Okay, you, you don't about think it? they did good? Uh, um, they, um, they acted as a proper central bank. They were the uh, lender of last resort. Um, principal thing there was, again, our Chinese friends uh, uh, had a margin call. Yeah. Uh, they owned treasuries to be able to, uh, to have a, a, a source of dollar funding, which they can then repatriate and, and patch up the domestic banking system so that they remain standing. And the Federal Reserve uh, honored that. It honored it. Um, and it allowed them to, to sell down their, their treasuries. That was the right thing to do. But I tell you, the even more right thing to do uh, moving forward is to tax sovereign holdings of treasuries. Because all it's leaving, first of all, all it does is it inflates, inflates asset prices. Um, it corrupts the entrepreneurial spirit. It makes everyone a speculator. It makes the cohort of the rich even richer and even less of a minority. And it makes everyone else um, a serf. So how is, that, how is that related to sovereign holding of treasuries? And it's also is that... Um foreign governments, foreign central banks, foreign anyone who's not in the U.S. at all? Um, it is uh, the sovereign, um, the sovereign, st hey, listen, you, you've heard of SAFE. SAFE is the, the Treasury Management Department of the People's Bank of China. Um, you know, they're yeah, directed yeah, yeah, by yeah, the yeah. state. They own probably about f between three and four trillion dollars of treasury holdings. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Tax yeah. them, right? Ta tax them. Do you want the dollar, you want the dollar, the, the yuan to strengthen against the the dollar. I want the Chinese to trust their own citizens and to find endogenous growth, which is not building uh, uh, fast trains, which will never recoup the, ben the, the, the benefits in the future, will never recoup the cost. I want them to uh, enrich their consumers via a higher currency, a higher pay, less taxes, but you know, letting them off the leash and letting them be free. That's what I want. I want them to create demand for U.S. manufacturers and for manufacturers in the rest of the world. We've given them contract law. We've given them liquidity. We've given them a bump. We've taken them from abject poverty to a rich nation. And it's time for them to respect us, um, stop pegging their currency, stop limiting their consumer household, to get more mean reversion, to be more like us. And if they're not willing to do that, then tax them. Don't tax, don't tax trade. Taxing trade is stupid. It's corrosive. It destroys global income. Tax the it, it's inflationary. Taxing, glut taxing of trade is inflationary. And it's inflationary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do, do you think that the Fed was behind the curve in 2021? Do you think it was slow to tighten monetary policy? When it, you know inflation was picking up three, four, five percent, and the Fed was still at zero, the the Fed's irrelevant. The, the the private sector was raising rates. The private sector was raising rates after the Fed intervened in March 2020. 
You know, on it, on its own accord, the the, the private sector took ten year uh, from 0.45 to over two percent. But but Hugh, I, we probably disagree on this. But the 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 explosion in the two year treasury rate has a lot to do with the Fed because the Fed has been hinting that it's been raising rates. Raise yeah, at, at the, the very short, um, the very short durations of the treasury market, you know, if the Fed says and gives you the steer that they're going to do 75, 75, 75, then your two years going to reflect that your curve's going to say you're nuts. The inversion in the curve saying this is idiotic, but the absolute two year level is going to say, yeah, well, that's on you. So I think we agree, actually private sector determines everything the wisdom is in the private sector how on earth would how many people are on the board of the federal reserve right how many people like 12 15 okay maybe they're uh, supplied by 10,000 phds okay but okay what do smart people consistently and what is smart but you know do academically phd gifted um, students and institutions consistently make um, the right decision evidence suggests otherwise 2003, the Bank of England, another central bank, staff full of really, really studious, hardworking, smart PhDs, decided that they would sell down the holdings of the the bank's gold. Okay, for 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 well well formed academic strong reasons, I would call that the conceit and the arrogance of well formed PhD arguments. I was buying it. I was buying gold. What, what was my well-formed argument? I, I had a dream about the Wizard of Oz. Okay? So it, it's kind of crazy flow state people like me and less crazy other people every day being on risk, every day entering into contracts, taking commercial risk, every day risking our career and our reputation. That's what sets interest rates. Not like 15 60-year-old men and women, meaning periodically, to you know, like a Politburo, who ever thought that that was a wise thing? And again, tell me the last time they got, tell me the last time their rate, the ECB, another institution, lots of really smart academics. Those bozos raised interest rates in July 2008. You get the drift. Yes. They just raised rates 50 yeah. basis points. Fifty. Let me repeat. German households are paying $600 per barrel to heat their homes. And they just raised interest rates. Central banks will bring on, if unchecked and unfettered, will bring on social revolution. The trade war with China is class warfare, right? That's bad. That's gutted. That's gutted communities. It's created the, opi the opioid um, craze. People are depressed. World sucks unless you're like really, really rich. Okay, and then on top of it, you come in and you you start raising their mortgage rate. Why? Why? They're idiots. They're destroying the system. But you know, Hugh, where do you? If there was no ECB and there was no Bundesbank, no Bank of Italy, it was all market rate. Where do you? the where do you think european rates would be where would the italian two-year rate be where would the german two-year rate be higher or lower where is i think higher right long-term rates were, would be where long-term rates are just now because long-term rates are not 
impacted by the shadow of the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve and its rate hiking only reaches reaches out to a magnitude of about two years. Um, so the, the, the curve inversions are telling you that the market's happy where it's got 10-year rates globally is unhappy about the pretensions of the global central banking community. Jack, I am timed out. I've got a, a meeting with my notaire in town in about 15 minutes. Ah, uh, nice. What does that word mean, notaire? Notaire is um, um, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of lawyer who's involved in real estate. Um, is it in gotcha, contracts? Gotcha. Contracts. Okay. It's a contract lawyer. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, Hugh, it's been a pleasure. Um, people uh, should check out your podcast, which is called Acid Capitalist, right? Well, they should go looking for Hugh Hendry, um, Hugh Hendry Substack, HughHendry.com. Um, you can buy, you, they should be trying to find one of these hats. You don't need, necessarily need my name on it, but I want you to be a top cat. Um, I, I want you to get your thinking cap on. I want you to get some acid capitalism. I want you to reject uh, rigidity, linearity of thinking um, with, the, these hats are imbued with the spirit of occasionally being rock and roll and seeing round corners and every now and again getting a glimpse of the future. These hats are stick it to the man material. Um, you will find me in my episodic shaman interventions on Twitter, Hendry underscore Hugh. And then we put out a weekly podcast on a Friday um, uh, on YouTube and on the, the wonderful Apple, uh, Apple podcast platform. And yes, Acid Capitalist is where to find us. Thank you, Jack. There is something that you need to be doing right now, and that is reading the BlockWorks daily newsletter. For top market insights and the latest in crypto news, you have to subscribe to the BlockWorks daily newsletter, and you can do so by clicking on the link in the description to this video or by visiting blockworks.co forward slash newsletter.